Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. If fall is in the air, then steelhead aren't far behind. Now, first and foremost, I have never fished for steelhead in the Pacific Northwest. I know that is traditionally where they are caught, and that is the purest form of the pursuit, and I appreciate that. I would love to get out there and get into those... Uh, rainforests in Washington and British Columbia and just experience the entire scene and, and, and really treasure that one fish that you might encounter. It's really cool. It's exciting. Nothing against that. Again, that is the archetype of what we're talking about when we talk about steelhead. But we have these really cool rainbow trout that live in lakes like Lake Erie and Lake Michigan throughout most of the summertime and then in the fall they swim up into small rivers small rivers that under normal circumstances only hold suckers maybe some sunfish and bass and so you have these tiny rivers and streams in old steel mill towns that don't have a lot of ambiance that don't have a lot going for them throughout the rest of the year especially for fly fishers and now there's these 20 30 and 30 plus inch fish swimming up in them that you can catch with a fly. They're not steelhead with a capital S, but biologically speaking, and kind of just within the general idea of what we're talking about, they're steelhead. So I know there's a big debate there. I know that there's something that you don't have the same kind of street cred if you catch steelhead in the Great Lakes that you do if you catch them out in the Pacific Northwest. But for all intents and purposes, eastern steelhead are a pursuit worth enjoying and worth fishing for and you don't have to go all the way up to washington state or to british columbia to enjoy it because whether you are in milwaukee or chicago or detroit or cleveland or pittsburgh or columbus or philadelphia or new york or washington dc or boston or louisville or cincinnati or indianapolis or any of these states that are kind of within a half day's drive of the great lakes 
you have access to enormous trout that normally are running around somewhere deep in a lake that you can only catch if you're using a downrigger and a boat and all sorts of non-fly fishing-y electronics and gear. And now you can stand in pretty chilly conditions in your knees deep in water and cast a nymph or a woolly bugger or an egg pattern and hook into one of these guys and a 20, 25 foot wide creek sometimes and have a really fun time in some very cool places. So that's what we're going to talk about today on the Casting Cross Fly Fishing Podcast. Now I want to start by saying that I am not a steelhead expert. I've caught lots of steelhead. When I lived in Pennsylvania and when I lived even in Virginia, I would go up to Erie, uh, the, the, the city of Erie in Pennsylvania, and fish all the time. I loved it. It was one of my favorite things to do. In fact, one of my absolute favorite things to do was to camp uh, right on the riverside and enjoy that cold, cold air and enjoy being right on the river and, and not having any excuses to stay in a warm bed, but in knowing that in that tent, in that sleeping bag, that I was probably going to get warmer once I got up, once I put my clothes on, my waders on, and started walking down the stream. It was excellent motivation to be the first one out. And so I don't have a very wide um, appreciation or understanding of all of the different tributary systems around the entire Great Lakes or the different Great Lakes themselves. But you have some things that you can take from my experience that you can certainly apply where you fish. Now, that being said, there's also some other things that you can get into if you're fishing Great Lake tributaries. Salmon, for example. That's a whole other conversation. That isn't to say that if you're fishing for steelhead, you're not going to catch a salmon and that the gear that I talk about and the techniques that I talk about aren't going to also apply to those fish. But remember, this is a steelhead, an eastern steelhead, Great Lakes, and you could even say eerie-specific conversation. However, there's a lot that you can extrapolate from my experiences and what I'm going to talk about that you can then go ahead and use while you fish wherever you're fishing on the Great Lakes. And But I make no pretense, again, as I mentioned earlier, that what I have to say has any bearing on what you do in the Pacific Northwest. I guess another caveat is that I don't do spay casting. I have done it. I wouldn't say I'm good at it. I certainly don't have the equipment, but that's something else that I just don't have the expertise on. There's plenty of it out there, and it is an excellent way to pursue these fish, especially in crowded, cramped conditions uh, that you're going to encounter in a lot of these smaller streams where a lot of times you're fishing with your back up against either trees or you have a back up against a high wall of a cliff or maybe even in some of these places a high concrete wall because it's a retaining wall because you're fishing behind an auto parts store. Again, it's a different kind of ambiance, a different kind of experience fishing in some of these rust belt towns. But all that to say, let's talk about equipment. You can use your heavy trout equipment or your light warm water equipment and be fine. Five weights probably a little too light. Eight weights probably overkill, with the exception of if you're in a place where you know you might get into some big salmon. But that six and that seven weight are probably going to be your best bet. They have the backbone to cast a weighted rig, not necessarily a weighted fly, because you might be using tiny uh, nymphs that you would normally be fishing for trout with, but you might need the weight to get them down, especially if there's a lot of water pumping through there because there's a lot of runoff. And 
that's a good time to be fishing too because with every rain you see the fish move out of the lakes and move further up the tributaries but uh, you want a rod that can handle casting or at the bare minimum flipping some facsimile of what casting should look like getting your fly from you out to in front of those fish and if there's weight you're going to need something like a sixth weight or a seventh weight to get it out there now you also want that fish fighting ability in some of these streams, you're fishing by log jams, you're fishing by bridge pylons, you're fishing by maybe 20 or 30 of your best friends. That's something that you don't have to do, and we can talk about that in a second. But if you need to move a fish, you can't do that with your four or your five weight. I mean, you might only be catching 18, 20, 22 inch steelhead, and you can certainly fight those with a four weight and a five weight. But if you're going to want to pull those fish out of cover, you're going to need something with a little bit more backbone. And that's why a six weight or a seven weight are a better choice. I'd also say that a nine foot rod is going to be your best bet, partially because there are going to be some times when you're going to want to do essentially a dead drift where you're high sticking your fly right in front of a trout and you're going to want that longer rod to accommodate that kind of approach. Also, you don't find a lot of six weights and seven weights that are shorter than nine feet. I know you can get some eight foot rods that are designed for bass or, you know, seven foot, nine inch rods that are designed for bass and musky and things like that. But a normal medium fast action rod for uh, trout in six weight or seven weight or for your warm water fish in six weight or seven weight is going to be totally fine. I don't like a rod that's too stiff because especially if you're not used to fishing for fish this size, and I mean, some of them can get enormous, you might not be ready to handle the kind of surging runs that they have. They're not going to fight you all day long. They're not going to take you into your backing necessarily, but a big fish is going to pull and pull hard. And if you're using lighter tippet because the water is clear and the fish are fresh or they're pressured, and you have a really fast rod, it's more of a, a skill thing. So if you're skilled and you're used to fishing for big fish, hard fighting fish, using lighter tippets, then use whatever rod you want. But if this is something different, if you're used to more surging runs and not those fast, sharp runs that you might get from a large fish, then a medium fast action rod is going to give you a little bit of a buffer and a comfort when those fish do run and you're not going to run the risk of snapping your tippet. So Six, seven weight rods, which means six, seven weight lines, which also I would suggest having a reel with a good solid disc drag with a good startup inertia. Now, if you want some information about that, you can go back to the podcast about different reels and you'll have uh, a little bit of a primer about that. But essentially, you don't want a reel that isn't going to immediately engage the drag and it, there's not going to be a, a jerk, uh, again, for the, the purposes of that light tippet. And then line, of course, six and seven weight line. And you're going to probably use tippets that get down to 3x at the lightest. That is even a little too light for most situations as far as where you're fishing, just because of the abrasion that you're going to be running into if you're getting that fly down deep. But you can fish 0x, 1x, 2x, and using 3x sparingly, maybe even when it's only necessary about getting the leader through the eye of the small flies that you're using. Again, that has to do with your comfort level. Some people will swear by going even lighter. Other people will say you can use a goat rope and you'll be totally okay. So it really depends on your comfort level and your experience. I mean, you can have this conversation with trout too. Some people balk at the idea of using 7X for midges. Other people think that you know you can 
not catch trout unless you're using 6x. So that's a debate that goes all over the place. But I think you're probably good in that 2x, 3x range. Flies. Your fly box should look like a normal trout nymph box on one side. So stoneflies, hares ear nymphs, copper johns, pheasant tails, varying the flash, varying the bead head. You want all of those things. If you were to only have two flies from nymphs, I'd say a pheasant tail nymph and a really buggy stonefly nymph. But natural, nothing wild with rubber legs and things like that. Not to say that those things wouldn't work, but if you're only going to have a couple flies, those would be my two nymphs. You also want egg patterns, all sorts of different colors. And I think that we need to pay attention to what the power bait guys do when we think about eggs because you'll hear these reports. If you get on these fishing message boards, which if you're not a fishing message board guy or girl, then now's the time to do it before you go steelhead fishing because the day-to-day kind of information that you get in these boards and these discussions are very helpful as far as where the fish are, how far they've moved, kind of what's working, and even what color egg patterns are working. And again, the power bait guys do this great where they say, you know, it's the yellow cheese, it's the orange garlic, whatever. And for whatever reason, fish do key in on certain colors where white with a red spot might have been killing this week. And then something happened, maybe a little bit of runoff from some rain. Maybe there's leaves in the water and they're not hitting white, but they're hitting orange. I don't know. Maybe they'd like the flash. Maybe they don't like the flash. Maybe it's all mental. I'm still not convinced that it isn't totally mental, but it's something to pay attention to. And again, if you have confidence in the fly because you know everybody's fishing this fly and everybody's catching a dozen fish on this fly, then you're going to fish that fly with confidence, which means you're probably going to not worry so much about your pattern and you're going to worry more about your presentation and you're going to fish better and you're going to fish harder and you're going to have more patience and you're going to pay attention to the things that you ought to be paying attention to, like your drift and your line and things like that and not wondering if you're wasting your time because you're using the wrong fly, right? Okay, so egg patterns. And of course, the egg patterns, cousins, the sucker spawn, the crystal meth, any of those little webby, fibery, little mass-looking flies, honey bugs. If you know what a honey bug is, then good for you. Anything like that that looks like a little chunk of something that the steelhead might be keying on because... They're flashy, really. I'm not sure how much they're concerned with the naturals when they're looking at these things, but these are the flies that works. So nymphs, egg patterns, and the egg pattern family, um, and then streamers. I have never had success with big streamers. I've never had success with complicated streamers. I think that a size 6 might be the largest I would go. I haven't caught any steelhead, I don't think, on anything larger than that. And it's primarily woolly buggers or woolly bugger style flies tied with estaz fiber. So it's the, that kind of flashy uh, stuff that you, you see in some egg patterns and then with a, a marabou tail. And you can go natural colors, the olives, the browns, the whites, and then you can get crazy. Purples, oranges, neon greens. There's some days where I catch fish on both natural muted and bright and shiny colors and some days where it's only one or the other. But these the great thing about these flies, both the streamers and the eggs, is they're super easy to tie. You do not want to go out and spend 40, 50, 60 bucks on these flies. You can spend 25 bucks and tie up more than you will ever need. You can fish with reckless abandon. The only thing I'd say is to be careful to not use flimsy little trout hooks. Use some stronger hooks just because of the power of these fish and the, the 
weight of these fish, even the weight of these fish in the current they're going to be in, you're not going to want to bend a tiny little uh, caddis larva hook straight. So that's kind of a general fly picture. It's going to change depending on where you're fishing, of course, the water conditions, all of those variables that you're going to encounter in a trout stream, you're going to encounter fishing for these trout in the streams that they are swimming around in. Okay, so that is where to fish generally. Again, these are tributaries coming off of these lakes, and the fish will move until they're stopped, either from a natural barrier like a waterfall or a man-made barrier like a dam. They will swim up, and they will do their spawning dance, whether it's actually happening or not. That's why they're moving up. There's a lot of really interesting information out there about why steelhead, especially transplanted steelhead, do what they do. Certain places you have a spring run and a fall run. Some places you have both. It's, it's fascinating. A lot more expertise and information than I have, but I would certainly say to go check it out. You can find it easily on the internet. Technique. Okay, how do you fish for them? You fish for these fish just like you fish for any other trout. You dead drift and you mend and you dead drift and you mend. I have had a whole lot more success dead drifting and swinging than I have with retrieving or trying to get cute with what I'm doing. Most of the fish will take it on the dead drift. Some of them will take it on the swing. And again, the swing is if you cast out, especially with a streamer, uh, a little woolly bugger, and you cast out and you let that fly drift. But then as it drifts, you allow that line to go tight and come across the current. So these flies are going in front of the fish's face, side to side, rather than coming straight on. That works when you're using something like a streamer that could potentially be imitating a natural food source that would be swimming across, but most of these fish are not actively feeding. I'm not saying that steelhead don't eat while they're running up tributaries. I think that they do. Uh, there's that misconception, I believe, that they're not eating at all. If they bite, they bite out of anger. They're eating, but I don't think they're feeding in the same way that a trout feeds. So if you are a trout fisher, you have to change your perspective and you're trying to trigger a response and a strike by having that come right in front of them. A lot of times the fish you have access to are fish that are just through getting over some obstacle or preparing to go over another obstacle. So their mind is on one thing and usually fish are kind of one track minded critters. They're not thinking about spawning and eating. They're not thinking about moving and spawning. They're doing one so they can do the next and they kind of take them in sequential order. So you have to really give them something that is served on a silver platter. So the dead drift and the swing, the dead drift and the swing. Those are the two important things to know. And if you can do those things well for trout, you can probably do them well for steelhead. It just requires all the same skills, reading the water, getting in the right position, things like that. The last thing is when to fish. Well, you fish when the fish are in the rivers. That's pretty obvious. But beyond that, when do you fish? Be the first one on the water if you can. This is why I was saying at the start of the podcast, I'd like to camp on the riverside. That way, I could be the first one on the water. If you have the first contact with either a fresh fish out of the lake or a fish that's just moved up into a hole, your chances are going to go up significantly. I'm not saying that if you get on the water at 1 o'clock, you're not going to catch fish because if you catch fish throughout the day, you know you're probably fishing over fish that other people have fished over. But especially in a lot of these places where they're in towns or not too far away from towns, there's going to be a lot of people fishing, especially if they know that there's going to be fish there. 
So the further you can get away from people and roads, and the earlier you can get on the water, you're going to improve your chances greatly. Another great thing is if you're fishing outside of Buffalo, fish during a Bills game. If you're fishing in uh, Ohio, fish during a Browns game. If you're fishing in Erie, Pennsylvania, fish during a Steelers game. I would do this all the time, and it was amazing how you could actually see how few people there were. Another good time to fish, wear your blaze orange, but fish that first weekend of hunting season. There's a lot of places where you aren't going to be anywhere near hunters, but if you are, and I would say just as best practices, wear orange during hunting season. If you're fishing, no matter where you are, whether you think you're on private property, you know nobody's there, you don't know that there's nobody there. So wear your blaze orange, but that first weekend of deer season, I would go and fish Erie, Pennsylvania, and I would have some of these rivers virtually to myself. And just little things like this are ways to improve your odds at getting at fresh fish or at least fish that haven't had the same kind of pressure. So honestly, if you're on the water and you're fishing and you're fishing like these fish are trout, you're going to be successful because they are trout and they're behaving like squirrely and quirky trout, but they're still trout. And if you can get to those fish and get to them while they're fresh and while they haven't been pressured, your chances of success are going to go through the roof. I have had days where I have caught so many of them, days when I've only caught a couple of them, and I have been skunked. So get out there, give it a shot. It's worth a trip. If you've never done it, if you've never had to one of the Great Lakes tributary systems, give it a shot. It's a really cool area. I'll put some information about that experience on the show notes of this podcast on castingacross.com. But again, this is meant to be a primer. There's a lot more information that's out there. Go to some of the websites. Again, the message boards that are for these communities and these fishing communities are going to give you more information than you know what to do with. So go fish. Enjoy it. It's something cool and unique, and it's a fun seasonal thing that you can do. This week on castingacross.com, first article called Fly Fishing Pre-Internet. It's about this enormous book that I had when I was a teenager that gave every fly shop, every guide, and very basic information about every state and the fly fishing opportunities that were there. Just kind of a fun look at recent antiquity, if that makes sense, because it's totally obsolete and uh, very outdated, even though it's only 20 years old, which this resource, I didn't put this in the article, this resource 20 years prior to its publication in 1997 probably still would have been valid in 1997, but published in 1997, now to uh, 2019, totally obsolete. So it's kind of an interesting look at that. And then Wednesday, fun article called IFTD 2019, Fly Fishing's Secret Menu. And uh, this is a look at seven maybe real products that are being unveiled at the uh, show this season. No guarantees, but if they are, you heard it here first. Now my recommendation for this week is the VitaVu X-Series. After 10 years of making better American gear and some of the best packs out there, my favorite packs to use, VitaVu has revamped their entire line using new materials and materials that offer increased water resistance, which I never had a problem with, honestly, before with the original VitaVu packs, but that was one of the biggest requests that VitaVu had from customers and potential customers was a pack that had more water resistance. So along with a handful of other design upgrades, the X-Line from VitaVu offers a more water-resistant pack that is incredibly ergonomic, just makes sense, 
you know where your stuff is. You put your stuff where you want to put it. Additionally, it's made in the United States and made to order. So excellent company, excellent products. Check out vitavu.com. I'll put a link in the show notes for this episode of the podcast on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.